Blog Talk Radio. My name is Melissa Tinning, and I'm from Dallas, Texas, and on the journey with Neville D'Angelo. I am Neville D'Angelo. On the journey, we meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky problems. We play a few games, too, as we track the remarkable heroes and unforgettable characters of three classic books. A Sounds Bite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again. This is a very special day in most of our lives, and we want to turn to the art of the story. We are our stories. We are the stories we tell ourselves. We are the stories we believe. We are the stories we sing and speak. We are our stories. And the standing question today on the journey is this. What is your story? How do we get to the heart of a story, uh, then reveal it with the clarity and acuity of a J.K. Rowling or a Maya Angelou or a Beyonce or Stephen Hawkins, T.D. Jakes, Johnny Depp, Martha Argerich, Martin Scorsese, a Spike Lee? How do they do it? How can we achieve it? Well, you may also follow along with our blog, and that's at matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. Our blog is, again, matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. And you can select the post entitled Nature, Nurture, or Nightmare. Today I have the pleasure of the company of Melissa Tinning, Texas writer and magazine editor. Before we get to the heart of the matter, let's get to know Mrs. Tinning a little better. My name is Melissa Tinning, and I am an uncertain participant (laughs) from Dallas, Texas, on the journey with Neville (laughs) D'Angelo. I am lucky enough to actually be able to write for a living, and I think that is not the norm for most people, to be able to express themselves creatively that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love getting to participate here at The Village with mm-hmm. our magazine, 75206, mm-hmm. and I especially love getting to work um, on projects and getting to work with uh, residents on things like the book club. Mm-hmm. A lot of people dream of getting their work published. They have all these stories that they, you know, they they have that they want to share, and they never know how to do it. What led you into being bold enough to? Led is not the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, fell into is is more descriptive of. of a lot of the things that I've been blessed to be able to do. Um, 
But English Lit was my major in college, and I took that and went right into real estate. Mm -hmm. And um, very accidentally um, happened to be officing in the same building with a marketing company Mm -hmm. and got to be friends with the owners of the company, and they knew that I had some writing background. They needed someone to do a little writing for them Mm -hmm. and just asked, would you do this just you know, just in the evening or something, we just need someone to fill some time. Mm-hmm. I had so much fun mm-hmm. doing that for mm-hmm. them that I said, this is what I want to do. Please let me do this for you. And it's kind of gone from there. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, since you said you did English Lit in uh, as your degree, you had an interest in writing before. Or oh, is it, it's not, oh uh-huh. my whole life. Right. But, you know, you can't make any money at writing. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you... So, of course, I went straight into real estate. I, I thought all writers were millionaires. <laughs> um, no. But it, it, I think that people who have a creative bend mm-hmm. um, often suppress that and, mm-hmm. and sometimes have to suppress that mm-hmm. just to be able to make their way through life. Mm-hmm. And oh, I feel so blessed that I don't have to, that I get to be silly or serious or fantastical or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel so blessed that I get to do that. And when I was doing the marketing, I was lucky enough to have some clients that really encouraged creativity, mm-hmm. which um, some companies wouldn't. Mm-hmm. They, they would want more staid, more conservative, more. And I had, um, I actually had one dentist that I wrote who says you're not being funny enough. <laughs> All right. Gives you a chance to. Yeah. Right, right. So. Now, creativity, you mentioned it, which is a big part of um, uh, telling stories, a big part of writing, a big part of communicating effectively with folks. What's, what, uh, what spurs your creativity? What, what gets you going? Oh, anything. Mm-hmm. Anything. And you can attest to this. I, um, I mean, how many... Ideas do you have jotted down in a notebook somewhere? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> right, yes, yeah, yes. and I think that it's, um, I think it's really wonderful for someone to be able to pull something from their own life mm-hmm. and turn it into something completely engaging for mm-hmm. someone else to read. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it doesn't have to be a true story. It doesn't have to be fact-based fiction. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, that emotional. Attachment you have to uh, to an incident, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whether it's for something dramatic or something comedic or something, being able to share that with other people, has, that's wonderful. That's fun. That's mm-hmm. you know that's. So, but, but and and you mentioned that uh, one of the things that thrill you about writing is the opportunity to be funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very tough thing for most of us to do. And right. and I would say that not a lot of my writing is funny, but um, but it's good to have fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, even if it's something so completely cliche that you're throwing in that you know 
whomever is editing is mm-hmm. going to say no. You, you know, <laughs> you, you talk about the the chicken that you you want to kill, and you don't want to go down the road of murder most foul. Yeah, but she gets so much fun typing it out. Right, right. Even if they cut it, yeah, okay, I still had fun with it. Right, yeah, so I hope yeah. somebody got a green outfit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Now, um, you, are you from the south or? I grew up in Waco, Texas. Ah, so you you have a, a southern sensibility, or or how do you? I would say that I have a Texas sensibility more than a southern sensibility. And, and explain to us the difference. Um. Well, I don't know that I have ever fainted on a <laughs> on a couch or anything like that. Um, can't recall having done that. No, there's there's a um. There's an independence um, in the Texas spirit, I think, that um, is solely its own, mm-hmm. and, and I love that. We have um, been so blessed to be able to travel and uh, to some places, not in your categories, but you know, we have gotten to do some traveling and got to live in um, uh, some other places, and I... I'm always ready to get home. Right. I'm right. always ready to get back, and and I really like I, um, I'm proud of that Texas sensibility. Okay. Now, well, you you just uh, visited D.C. Yes. I got some beautiful pictures from you from D.C. Tell us about that visit. Oh, D.C. is one of my favorite places, mm-hmm. and um, I've been lucky enough to get to go fairly frequently throughout mm-hmm. the years, and um. It just, there have been times that we have been, and it has been just freezing cold because we're always kind of the week before uh, St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. and um, times when it this past uh, week it was just stunningly beautiful. The cherry blossoms were just about to peek out, and um, it just had a wonderful, wonderful time. But um, it, in the temperature perspective, it kind of reminds me of Texas because you never know what's going to happen. happen right. And I've gotten to ice skate on the rink at the mall and you know, then I've gotten to look at the rink melting at the mall. <laughs> um, there's so much to experience there just within D.C. And then you know, if you expand it, if you have any interest in history, expand mm-hmm. it even a little further out, there's there's so much history in, in such a tiny area. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite things are the museums, mm-hmm. and uh, I almost always go to the National Gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, I there are I love the museum, and I mentioned to you that I discovered um, one that I had not been to before, the um, National Museum for Women in the Arts. Oh, tell us about that. Um, the Hallidays, uh, an, an old family from the area, mm-hmm. uh, decided to collect art, but they decided to do it uh, kind of on their own terms, and they collected art, women's art. Mm-hmm. Um, their, uh, I think that their primary purchases were 16th century to contemporary, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I believe that it was Mrs. Halliday uh, decided sometime around the 80s to um, that she wanted a home for for her collection mm-hmm. and 
uh, incorporated the National Museum for Women in the Arts. Mm-hmm. Their first um, tours and stuff like that were in her home. Mm-hmm. And then they found a, she found a, a um, an, an old Masonic temple mm-hmm. and converted into into a museum, which, in my mind, there's a lovely irony to that. Um, but since it was a Masonic, right. since it was a boys only club, not a girls only club. I like that. I like that irony. But um, but it's beautiful. It's, be- it's inside. It's it's a stunning place and. You know, women were not allowed to be in the arts at all, mm-hmm. in, in any kind of arts. And so, so many of these women um, that are shown there were the daughter of, um, the sister of, the uh, wife of, um, mm-hmm. somebody who was renowned. But they showed in Salon, they were named, Marie Antoinette had two women named as her court mm-hmm. artists. Mm-hmm. And um, some of their works are depicted here. And mm-hmm. so, it was just. It was just wonderful to get to go through and and see the um, the feminine stylistic interpretations from the times. Beautiful. Now, is this Miss um, Holiday as in real estate? No, it's it's not. It's not our our um, group here in town. This is someone from uh, the D.C. area, oh, okay. and I'm I'm giving you you know, the little bio that was on the, you know, the placard that I read, right, which right. is about as much information as I can give. The only other thing I can add to it is if you go to, to D.C., go see this museum because it, it's beautiful and, and the works are, are incredible. Great, are great. Incredible. Now, when we return, I'd like to talk a little bit about the writers group that you lead. Okay, great. Right. Well, no, I don't lead it. <laughs> okay. I don't lead it. Well, I'm a participant in it. Okay, we'll, we'll come right back to that. Okay. The standing question today is, what is your story? You're on the journey. I am Neville D'Angelo speaking with Texas writer Melissa Tinning. You can download our podcasts free from iTunes and reference our blog, which is matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. Matchbox Mystery is one word matchboxmystery.wordpress.com and follow the post for this show which deals with the art of storytelling. You'll meet Amy Tan there as she discusses creativity and you'll find very valuable tools and pointers especially for writers and storytellers. As you know on the journey we are tracking three classic books A Sounds Bite Life Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or get for your digital devices, your Nook, Kindle, iPad, etc. Enjoy! This is a wonderful group that, again, I fell into... Uh, one of our residents started the group, uh, one of the residents here at the village started the group, and uh, I knew that he was a writer too and kept bugging him to switch chapters with me, to <laughs> trade chapters with me, and finally, and he kept putting me off, and finally he said, I have a writer's group, do you want it to come to that? <laughs> and I jumped at the chance. Mm-hmm. I had been involved with another writer's group that is a wonderful group here in, in town, mm-hmm. um, 
but uh, the drive was a little far, and uh, the size was getting a little uh, too big for me. And I think that that the I think you need there needs to be a personal connection. Mm-hmm. So I did go to this group. I am the eldest person in the group by far. <laughs> By far. Are these all kids? Uh, they're they're children. No, they're not. They, but but it is a a wonderful wonderful group of young people and talented mm-hmm. young people, mm-hmm. and I'm so excited about being in the group. And um, as you and I talked about, I think that it's really important for anyone who wants to write. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to write something for your kids to have of you, you know, when you're not around anymore, if you want to write something for the world to share, mm-hmm. it's really important to be in a writer's group and to have that kind of community, that kind of the feedback that you get, the support that you get, the um, opportunity to bounce ideas off of other people, mm-hmm. um, the the chance to study the craft. Uh, to to be sure that what you are putting down on paper or, or digitally or however you're doing it is the most perfect indicator of what it is you want to share. And I think that 99.9% of the population would be able to do that better if they participate in a, in a writer's group. Now, when you guys get together, how do you, um, how do you participate? What's, what's the session like? Um, our particular group is is uh, probably not like most groups because mm-hmm. we actually get together every single week. We have dinner together, mm-hmm. um, and I think that breaking the bread together is a good thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and uh, then we stop dinner. Whomever has something to read, uh, we read, we do critiques, mm-hmm. and we go from there. It, it probably is important to say for someone who hasn't participated, mm-hmm. Our group is funny, and we laugh about this, but someone may read something, and one person will say, well, I think that this particular thing, and somebody else will say the exact opposite, yeah. and which often happens when I read. I, I get it from all over the board. And one of our, our folks said, he asked me, he said, what do you do with the the critiques that are so different? Right, like, right. well, if I don't agree with them, I ignore them. <laughs> Which you have to be able yes. to do. Yes. You have to yes. be able to do that too. Yes. But um, it's always good to get a perspective that right. that isn't your own. You're you're tied to that piece, right. and um, you may not. It may be completely clear to you that you're saying the the sun is yellow, but to somebody else, they're hearing the sun is brown. And right. It needs to be clear. Yes. Yes. You, whatever group you're in, whether mm-hmm. it's a writers group, whether it's a book club. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ideas need to be able to be shared freely. Yes. And yeah. you need to know that um, the other people in the group have your back. That right. that the other that what happens in the group stays in the group. Right. You know, whatever right. cliche you want to insert there, mm-hmm. it really is important that mm-hmm. the that the community is um, probably yeah. the biggest factor. It's sure. the community, and then it's the writing. And I don't know what kind of experience you've had, but. Um, my the the group that I participate in, there are poets, there are fiction writers, there are we have a, a minister. Mm-hmm. We have we have so many different kinds of writing coming mm-hmm. in that it um, it's almost like baking something or, or making a soup. You're throwing all of these wonderfully divergent types of creativity into the same pot mm-hmm. and 
I think that it um, enhances mm-hmm. what we then turn around and write, uh, you know, on our own time, yeah. where, where we're um, seeing some of this this beautiful use of language and makes you want to do yeah, right, right. just so well too. It so. sounds like a very mature mature group. Do you do you have um, or have you experienced where or a writer has come into the group? They want feedback, but they project to you throughout that they really don't want feedback. They just want confirmation that what they have done is the best work that they've done. How do you deal with that if that's happened to you? Um, I think that being able to approach things from a loving perspective, mm-hmm. which isn't always the way that I approach things, but it is uh, very much the um, personality of this group. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of times that I just shut up, uh, <laughs> but but I, but I think that's important that you that you approach things from a loving perspective. Mm-hmm. We have um, had folks visit and who you, this is this is my work. You mm-hmm. just need to love my work, <laughs> and um, I think that if you start with loving the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your response even to that will be done in a good way, mm-hmm. and so I do think that that's that that is really important. Um, and uh, our group has has changed and merged and grown and and shrunk and every, I mean it has certainly gone mm-hmm. through some changes throughout the time. Um, and I can think of a couple of times in particular that it was that that. You know, instead of of saying, "Well, this was this was wrong or this was wrong," you know, to to someone mm-hmm. saying, "Tell us what you need from us. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you need as far as a critique, or mm-hmm. is there something that you would like a suggestion on?" Or, um, and we also have uh, instituted, and I'm saying we very liberally here. It was not me who started these things. Um, it was it was the person who started the group. Uh, but ha- we have a a rating scale, and when someone reads the scale is one to five, one being these are just notes I want to bounce this idea off of you, and five, I'm ready to send it to the editor. Mm-hmm. And most of us come down you know, somewhere in between when we read. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that helps, by establishing some rules like that, that that helps the group, too, mm-hmm. uh, be able to respond in a way that is mm-hmm. helpful um, without being um, overly aggressive. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I like it. about the story and what audience you're trying to reach with it. Well, um, this story is for the upper end of young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely not tween or, or, or teen. Um, it's a little above that age level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a fun time travel story. Yeah. Uh, I started, our, we started our discussion talking about um, some of the museums in, in mm-hmm. D.C. Mm-hmm. and art is something that is I I am enamored with mm. with art and with the people who have the ability to create, mm. and that was kind of where the the idea for the story started. So mm-hmm. she's able to travel through art mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to um, to whatever time or place is depicted. Mm-hmm. 
um, and her first journey when she becomes an adult, I'm not giving anything away, um, is through a Romare Bearden collage um, into North Carolina uh, in the teens, 19 teens. And um, it's just, uh, it's been, it's so much fun. It's been so much fun for me to write this because I get to uh, mesh history and art right, right. and and complete fantasy too. So now, what have you given this a name as yet? Um, I have titled it "A Step in Time." A Step in Time. Um, yes. And there, I think there are probably a few dozen books that are also titled that. So, <laughs> don't know if that title will stick, but it fits it and it fits it for me right now. So, when do you hope to have it available? Um, you know, my husband has made me promise that I will finish my editing very, very quickly because <laughs> I am. When you are so invested as a writer, when right. you're so invested in something, it's um, especially your first something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of hard to let it go yeah, yeah, to say, yeah. "Okay, it's done. I, I'm ready for other people to to read this now." So, uh, but he has um, he's made me promise that it will be very quickly. Okay. So. <laughs> I enjoyed A Step in Time. All right, this is the prologue. She was a precocious seven and always fascinated by old things. Her granddad joked that was why she constantly dogged him. She loved old books, art, her grandmother's long-ago stylish hats, and especially her granddad. She also loved playing and exploring in her grandparents' attic. It was an enormous space, almost the size of the house, with easily enough headroom for adults in most of it. Her mom said her grandparents were biblio-packrats. She didn't know what that meant, but she did know she could always find something in that dingy attic that would light a match under her imagination and have it boiling furiously in no time. She was fully smudged with dust and dirt as she dug through her granddad's old seismology trunk, It had been pushed against a wall and was stacked all around with old decorations and boxes of clothes. She burrowed for an hour to reach it. She had never seen it before. Her granddad led a seismology crew long, long time ago. His trunk was full of yellowed black-and-white photographs, faded diagrams, and funny tools. She found one photograph of him. She stared lovingly at the handsome young man in the picture with his explorer's hat cocked off to one side. She wondered, for the billionth time, how he was so smart, how he knew such fantastic and odd things. It was true. She did follow him around relentlessly, and he loved it. They shared so much. He had been scolded by every teacher she had so far. In kindergarten, it was for teaching her to read the paper. Children don't need to be steeped in the horrors of the world. In first grade, it was for teaching her how to write and write in cursive. You've ruined her penship completely. And now in second grade, he had been scolded for showing her math tricks, even multiplication, division, and fractions. He was quite proud of their record. But they had agreed to keep the history and Spanish language lessons to themselves for a while. She wondered what her third grade teacher would fuss at him about. She set aside the picture to take downstairs so she could ask if she could keep it. She rummaged some more in the trunk and found a big stack of old magazines. With girls on the front, without many clothes on. Weird. Under the magazines, she found a book. It wasn't like any book she had ever seen before. Because of the size, she could barely lift it out of the trunk. The cover was strange. 
It was made of thick slabs of wood tied together with what looked like solid black twine. She could tell it was wood because she could see the grain. It didn't feel like wood, though. It felt almost slippery, like polished rock. And when she opened the book, it smelled worse than her big brother's socks after a baseball game. She drew quick breaths through her mouth and turned the pages carefully. There were only six. They didn't feel like paper, but like a thick cloth. It was filled with writing she didn't understand. Each page was covered to the edge with some of the writing in haphazard scrawls and some in neat, precise lettering. One page was filled with small, elegant drawings running in evenly spaced lines up and down the cloth. On the fourth page, she stopped. All that was on it was a picture and a few lines of writing. She looked closely and saw more pictures above the drawings stretched out in a line-like writing. It was a string of lines and dashes and squiggles and triangles and very, very faded. Further down on the page was writing she could read in, a, in strong, big letters. Below that, in dainty and flowing cursive, was lettering she could recognize. The drawing was of a man seen from the side. He seemed very tall, strapping and strong, though it didn't look like he was wearing anything. And he was holding what appeared to be a great, big, extremely furry cat away from him at arm's length. She ran her fingers over the picture. She traced the cat, wondering what it would be like wondering what it would be like to play with, thinking it might enjoy some of the flutter toys her own big kitty Wellington loved to bat around. She looked at the pretty writing and tried to sound it out, just like her granddad taught her. Positum in picture atus et tora eoilic a perio me animum, she said slowly. Her fingers that were still resting on the cat disappeared into the drawing. Before she could open her mouth to scream, she was pulled into the book completely. One arm was frozen over her head and the other plastered to her side. She felt like she was encased in thick plastic. Her eyes were held open even though she desperately wanted to close them. Her mouth was open too, dry and screaming, without any sound. Bright lights passed all around her with an amazing speed, like she was shooting through a kaleidoscope, making her head spin. Though it seemed like an eternity, in truth, it lasted only a very few seconds. Then she was falling, head first, toward green tangled ground, the unheard scream erupting and choking off as she heard a loud crack when her arm pummeled into the deceptively firm turf. She rolled in pain. Sitting up, she vomited uncontrollably, woozy from the trip. That was when she heard the roar. Cradling the broken arm and twisting around, she saw a lion racing toward her from the cover of a low scrub forest. Her green eyes met its amber ones and locked for a moment before its deep roar broadcast her end. She slammed her eyes shut and screamed again as she curled into a tight ball to wait for the first agony. Would it be teeth or claws? She heard a whomp, and the roar was suddenly cut off. Holding her breath, she opened one eye. What she saw was impossible. A man had his arms around the lion, and they were rolling over and over. Before the great cat could recover, the man released his grip, coiled and swung an absurdly large club at its jaw. She heard the sickening thud before the lion collapsed. She was past hysterical and into numb. The man began skinning the lion, never even glancing at her. She stood, still holding her broken arm, unsure of what to do. She stepped toward the man. Mister? Mister, where am I? The man glared at her for a moment and spit out some words, words she didn't understand. Then he went back to work on the carcass. She froze and swayed, close to fainting. A firm hand gently took her shoulder. I'm here, honey. She whipped around, wrenching the tender arm. Granddad! The tears finally spewed from her. 
granddad, I was in the attic. I didn't know what happened. I fell and hurt my arm. Then a huge lion was running at me, and that man came out of nowhere, and he doesn't speak English, and he killed the lion, but he wouldn't talk to me. And when he finally did, it was mean, and I didn't understand what he said, and my arm hurt so much. Shh, he finally interrupted. Let's go home. But my arm, your arm will be just fine. He took a photograph out of his pocket and placed it on the ground. She looked curiously at the picture. It was of the attic, but he must have taken it after she fell through the book because all the area around his trunk was scattered from her explorations. He scooped her up in his arms. I'll just bend my legs and say a few words, and we'll be right back home. She looked into his face and saw only the open, honest love she always found there. She leaned her head against his shoulder and closed her eyes. Transporto mi abenecunis momit laxus cito e candida mens, he said, clearly, as he stepped onto the photograph. She felt the tightness again, but seconds later it released as her granddad stepped heavily onto the floor of the attic. She opened her eyes slowly as he set her down, right back in front of the frightening tone. She, he tried to sound firm. So, I see you found the book. Still aghast, she sank further down on the dirty floor and sobbed wildly. Her grandmother called up the stairs. Is everything all right? Yes, she just had a bump. She was messing around in my old seismology trunk. Well, I hope she didn't find those awful magazines. Her granddad looked toward the stairs with a startled look. Hmm, I didn't think grandmother knew about those, he said absently. He gazed back at her, then sat down and took her in, her, in his arms. It's okay, honey. Shh, now, you're back in the attic and safe. He rocked her slowly and traced his finger along her dirty forehead like he had when she was a baby. See, he took her arm, just like new, no break. She had forgotten about her arm. She looked at it in amazement and sniffled. But how? Granddad, what happened? Let's quiet down a little more. Here, I brought tea. He handed her one of two big glasses of milk and a plate overflowing with lemon coolers cookies, their usual Saturday afternoon treat. You've been up here so long, I thought you forgot about tea time. They sat comfortably together in silence, munching. As the beating of her heart slowed down, her mind took off. Granddad, yes, I know we need to talk about it. He finished the cookie before continuing. I found that book at a garage sale years and years ago, long before you were born. It was really an estate sale, and the family didn't know what they were selling. And I didn't know what I was buying. I paid 75 cents for it. I imagine my first experience was very much like yours, though I didn't break anything. She interrupted. But how did my arm get fixed? Honey, you just visited ancient Greece, sometime around 200 B.C., I believe. As near as I can figure out from my own travels, what happens in a place you visit doesn't stay with you when you come back to your, your time. You broke your arm in a place where you didn't really exist, so the break didn't really exist. But let me finish before you ask any more. Anyway, when I saw that page, I wrote down the words, planning to take them to a friend of mine who's a professor at the University of North Texas to see if he could translate for me. Thank goodness I stuck that piece of paper in my pocket. I had one hand resting on the page as I sounded the words out. Then I was grabbed and thrown into the exact same place that you went. Same lion, same man. I pulled out my notebook and said the words again and again, but nothing happened. Finally, I tried saying the second set of words. In my notebook, I also had a photograph I had taken two weeks earlier of a home not far from here. I liked their garden design and wanted to copy some of it. Well, that let me get home, though they did wonder how I suddenly fell into their front yard. Relived that two weeks, too which wasn't so bad. I knew to unplug the washer and dryer when a lightning storm hit the second time around. Your grandmother was very impressed with me. He took a long drink of milk. What about that man? Alyosha's been killing that lion for a few millennia now. 
It had been terrorizing a village for months, close to where you fell in. Poor guy. Hercules will get all the credit for it in the stories and drawings, and they'll claim you did it barehanded. Granddad, honey, this is important, so you listen to me very carefully. I was planning to introduce you to that book, and the key it gives you to create travel portals when you were a little older. It's your inheritance from me, but not right now. It's just too dangerous. I believe that if you die when you travel, you're gone. We're going to put the book away where it was and keep it our secret and plan an adventure when the time is right. You and me together, okay? I don't want you touching this book again until I say, okay. Seven years later, she sat in black, sobbing at her granddad's memorial service. Thank you, Melissa. Beautiful. I look forward to you finishing your young adult book. On the journey, we always post our guests the question. This time, our question relates to being on a journey. Well, you know, shoes is a very important thing to us in life. So what shoes are you wearing and why are you wearing those shoes today? Um, I am wearing a pair of, of black mid-heel pumps that are very comfortable and comfort is is imperative and, and they match my suit. So, <laughs> good, good. And, you know, even if they weren't comfortable, as long as they matched, I probably still would have worn them. <laughs> okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Melissa, I am... Um, very, very grateful that you spend the time uh, with me today and with the audience. And I look forward to spending some more time with you. Uh, look forward to some more of your reading. And I know that you invited me to come and visit with your group. Uh, I'd love to do that. We are our stories. We are the stories we run from, attempting to escape our own story. We are the stories we run to, seeking the meaning of our unfolding story, seeking to discover how to be better in the next chapter of the current story, seeking to learn how best to shape that part of the story that must be heard beyond the rest. When we are not running, when we are not seeking, when we are not telling our story, we are hiding, whittled and woven into the stories of others so brilliant, we blend in unnoticed, artfully blotted out. For what we are, they are stories. And yet each of us is but one letter in the story of the universe, a necessary letter. We are as integral a part of each other's story as the universe is of each of us. Your story does not exist outside of mine. It cannot. My story is not denied by the existence of yours. It simply will not be denied. Your story and mine are irreversibly intertwined. Your nightmare is part and parcel of my nature. We nurture both together, 
my story is incontrovertibly yours, even in denial, and yours with all of its joys, with all of its farce, flaws, falsities, and failures, very much mine. Nurtured like parents of the same child or monkey, who then is the architect of your story, designing each and every plot twist, that story you and I are destined to tell? Who is the architect of that story when I am a letter free to roam the pages upon which it is being penned, that story to which your signature and yours alone appends? Who writes each word there? And then, we are our stories. The standing question today is, what is your story? See you next week. <laughs>